0: some downtime, some quiet time because there are times when Jesus understood the need to withdraw from the crowds of people. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you and I, if we're wise, we need to withdraw from the crowds and we need to get alone and get aside with God. And Je- Jesus had found himself under continuous strain and he needed some rest. Some of you need rest. Some of you you really do. And, and, I, and, and my heart goes out to some of us because some of us have busy and hectic lives because of things that we have not so much control over and so we find ourselves harried and, 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 and frazzled and worn out but, but rest is a necessary thing I hope that with this time change you're able to try to find that other hour of sleep that you lost last night somewhere you need to find it, you need it I was blessed because for some strange reason I was working on my sleep this week and I actually went to bed like at 9 o'clock on Friday night my wife can tell you because she's been like Working on her dissertation, and uh, I don't want to diss you and your dissertation, Uh, but she's she's hey she's she's almost in there. It it got sent off to the editor this week, so uh, mm -hmm. so. But she was working in the other room, and I was in the bedroom, and I just put my. Uh, my my earbuds in, and and uh, listen to some of the podcasts that I that I listen to and which, which without fail put me to sleep in about five minutes. This is one episode I've been trying to hear the whole thing for like three days. I've I've started it like five times. But uh, so I, so that's been a blessing because I I went to bed last night at like ten and so I didn't feel too bad when the clock went off this morning at this ungodly hour that I normally get up on Sundays and. I didn't feel too much like I'd missed an hour, but then you go, I went outside and opened the door and it's like way, it's like way darker than it's supposed to be, you know, and it took a long time to get light, but I hope you get that back. Jesus understood that and and that's a lesson for us that, you know, sometimes we as Christians try to be all Spartan and all, you know, big time, like, oh, you know, I don't need no rest, you know, I'm just going, I'm just going to burn out for Jesus. (laughs) And I don't know if Jesus called me to burn out that way. I think he wants me, and he wants you as well to be these brightly glowing embers that go on and on and on until such time as our lives end, but not to burn out prematurely just in uh in uh in in, uh, in, in haste right and so uh you know he he Got, got aside for rest, and it was necessary that sometimes he should get his disciples alone, that he might lead them more deeply into an understanding of himself, so he would teach them. He needed time for prayer, right, and, and, and for contact with the power and the presence of God. And on this particular occasion, it was wise for him to withdraw because he was going to face a little, in a, in a little while, a head-on collision with the authorities and the powers that be. And so before that final conflict is to take place, it was important during this moment that he pull aside with his disciples. But notice in verse 2 that it says this, a great crowd followed him. A great crowd followed him. Something about crowds, and there was a reason why these crowds followed Jesus. There was a reason why the crowds followed him. Did they follow him because of their deep spiritual hunger and because they really were d- d- deeply desired to know the truth of the gospel? Not uh, Not exactly. The text says this, that they followed him. Why? Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They saw the things that he had done, the miracles he had done in healing sick people. They saw basically the benefits that were being given out from his hand, the blessing. They saw the miracles. They saw the power. And as you've heard, as we've talked about, Jesus was not trying to to conduct an ongoing dog and pony show, a a Jesus Christ miracle, healing, salvation show with a tent and an organ and sawdust on the floor. He wasn't trying to merely create a spectacle of healing. He, everything that Jesus did, first of all, he did nothing that the Father didn't do, that the Father didn't give him to do. And everything he did, he did for a purpose. How many of you know that's right? And so this great crowd of people, they followed him because they saw the signs. And so what happened is around the, Lake, the Sea of Galilee... Uh, here there these people there's this crowd of people because it's 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 Passover season and that's it's and John says that plainly uh, but it's also indicated and verified by the fact that there was green grass on the ground because about four months out of the year in this region of Palestine where the, where the soil is fertile, where there's green grass, and it's that, that Passover season. And so all these multitudes of people are on their way to Jerusalem. Some of them have turned aside, though, to follow Jesus along the way because they see they, they, they encounter Jesus. And there are three feasts that, that, that were, were, were prominent among In Jewish life at the time, the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, and Passover. And every Jewish male over the age of 19 was expected to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. So you can imagine, there was a great throng of people making their pilgrimage, making their way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus and his disciples are there, and so they want to, they cut across on a boat to get away from the crowds. And what do the people do? The people and it's, it's about four miles from where they are to where they're going, and the people, as they're going on across the lake, the people follow around the north side of the lake on land, and they can see the boat, and they're following him, and so that when he gets to the, when, when he gets to the other side, not long thereafter, I'm sure, there they are. They encounter him because they they, they, they they want to see what he's going to do next. Now, it says that there are 5,000 men, and that that would indicate that there were at least double that amount of people because that doesn't take into account the women and the children so this could have been a crowd of ten thousand to fifteen thousand to, 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 to twenty thousand people with women and children another thing to note is that we're talking about the region of galilee here and galileans are a particular class of people And the miracle that we've just read about that we'll talk about has particular pertinence to them because the galileans are a, a kind of unsophisticated people more so than the people in the south that jesus has been ministering to They're, there are those in other parts of the region that, that, that are a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more erudite, a little bit more cerebral. These people are, are, are peasants who live close to the soil, who work hard for subsistence wages. And so the issue of this feeding of these people will be of particular interest to these who we could classify as the working poor. We have a lot of working poor people in our Society today and around the world. There are, there are multitudes of people of, who, who work hard and barely get by. And to those people, the message of God's provision and, is, is, is an important one. And so Jesus sees the crowd. He lays his eyes on them. And Jesus decides that he wants to do something for the crowd. He wants to feed the hungry. But he wants to do something else as well, and that is that he wants to test the disciples' faith. He's been teaching them for two years about God's power and the kingdom of God, and now he wants to put that faith, uh, to a, uh, particularly that of a couple of his followers, to the test. And so he begins with Philip. Now, Philip is known as the quiet, introspective disciple. You know, in every group, Everybody has their particular temperament, their particular, their particular way. And that's, that's and isn't it sad when we try to make everybody the same way? Because among Jesus' 12 disciples, we see some, some, some distinctive differences in temperament and in, in the way that people react to life. And that's the same way it is in, in, in any human interaction. It's probably, it would be very boring and probably very explosive if you get a group of 10 or 12 of people with, exact, with the exact same temperament together to try to do something. And so Pete, Philip is known as the quiet, introspective one. Now, Peter is known as what? Brash, impetuous, mouthy, uh, you know, impulsive. James and John are, are also impulsive and volatile and probably prone to anger. That's why they are referred to as the sons of thunder. It sounds like a motorcycle group gang, doesn't it? The Sons of thunder. You know, get, you know, leather jackets and get your helmets and get on your Harleys. I see these cats with these motorcycles with the handlebars way up here. That's, that's got to be cool. You know, how cool is it? And then I see guys with bicycles way up here. That looks stupid. But I, I digress. But, so, so, Philip is, 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 the, is, the, is the, the cerebral, the, the c- contemplative and, and reflective, introspective one. And Philip, check this out. Philip is from Bethsaida. Bethsaida is like nine miles from from this spot. So, Philip would have known where the food was. In other words, Philip would have known where the grocery stores were in the area. He would have known where Kroger was or Safeway. He said, Pastor, what part of the country are you from? Okay, he would have known where Albertsons and Ralphs and Vons were or Superior or Smart and Final if he wanted to bulk up and stock up on some stuff. You know, he would have known what was in the area, but also he would have known where the food wasn't and the fact that there probably wasn't no food around where they were at this moment. Wasn't a good place, but here's Philip's te- test. Jesus asked him, and the, the text says he says, "Where, Philip? Let me ask you. Let me ask you something. <laughs> Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat?" And then the text says, "This was only a test." You know how they come on this thing, and your TV goes, and your radio, "This is only a test." And I hate that they do that crazy sound too <laughs> on your. T- I'm in the middle of watching a program you really want to see, and then gonna, this thing comes across. Out <laughs> This is a test, or, you know, it's like a weather alert. It's like, it's, it's going to rain in Los Angeles, and you people don't do well with rain, so we thought we'd make a big alert out of it. There's a 10% chance, which means it probably won't rain till next, next November. Well, this is a test. It's only a test, but it's a test, and it's a very real and a very important test. And the reason, and, and then the text says, I love this, it says, because Jesus already knew what he would do. Wow. So in Jesus' heart and mind, Jesus said, I got this. I thought about that. I said, you know what? I said, sometimes my faith is tested. Sometimes your faith is tested, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? But Jesus, even when your faith is tested and when you're in the midst of a trial, even if God has allowed that trial in your life to test you, to mold you, to shape you, to teach you, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. You hear me? There's some of us, us this morning that are trying to see ourselves out of a situation, and it's a test of faith for us, for us, us. but don't worry. Jesus knows what he's going to do. You're in good hands when you're in Jesus' hands. Amen. Jesus knows what he's going to do. But he does test his disciples. And so he says, Philip, you know, where are we going to get bread for all these folks? You, you're a local. You should know. Come on. And what does Philip say? It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have for each one to have a bite. A little, little hyperbole there. For each one to have a bite. Who wants a bite? Give me a savage. He said, it would take more than half a year's wages for, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Okay, so Philip, kudos to you, brother, because you got you 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 know how to calculate things in your head. Either that or you pulled out your iPhone, and, but he pulled out his calculator and he said, let me see here, hmm, got 5,000 and estimate up, run that by three, that's 15,000, and to buy 15,000 uh, maybe fish and little fish, a couple of fish, 15,000 people and fifteen, or to get... You know, Cheryl and Jerry to cater for fifteen thousand—that's going to be a lot of money, huh? <laughs> it, it, uh, to go to McDonald's and get fifteen thousand Happy Meals—and say, "Oh man, there's no," he said. "There's no." Every way I figure this thing, Jesus—it, it, you know, it, half half a year's money, paychecks wouldn't be enough to buy bread, to, to buy even one bite for these people. So the contemplative, introspective, reflective Philip gets. Basically, no better than a D minus on the test. I actually think he gets an F. I think he gets a fail. What do you think? You all give him a fail? Okay, be careful, because when your test comes, somebody going to grade you. So you might want them to grade on a curve. (laughs) They don't do that no more, do they? But anyway, he gets an F. Why would I give Philip, and why would we give Philip an F? Because Philip sees the situation as a predicament of impossibility. Philip looks at this problem solely in terms of money. And immediately he concludes that there's no way to feed the crowd because they don't and we don't have enough money. Now from a pragmatically human perspective, that seems like a fair assessment. But Philip his fault and his failing is this, that he only looks for the answer in what we would term the ordinary way, the human way, the rational way, the sensible way. And sometimes the way out is the way that doesn't make sense. Sometimes the way To address the problem is the way that is not the ordinary, regular, natural, human way. The issue at hand here is what do you do when the situation at hand is beyond your reach, beyond your reason, and beyond your resources? What do you do then? I know that some of you said, well, I don't know, Pastor, because I never find myself at that place because I always make sure I prepare and plan for the contingencies of life and the exigencies of life, the inevitable uh, vicissitudes of life that are thrown my way. I, I, I try to pride myself on always being ready. But let me tell you, I don't care who you are, there's going to come a time when you're going to come to the end of your, uh, you're going to come to the situation where, where the answer you need is beyond your reach, it is beyond your reason, you can't figure it out, and it's beyond your resources, The finite, the finite balance in your bank account, because it ain't infinite because you ain't Bill Gates. And then somebody says, I don't even have a bank account. <laughs> Philip says, We don't have enough money. See, follow me in this. Sometimes we look at what God calls us to do and we conclude, We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. But here's the principle. With regard to ministry, we need to remember, ministry comes first and money follows, not the other way around. Because it has been said like this, where God guides, he provides. I'm not talking about recklessly going out and making a bunch of presumptive moves. I'm not talking about spending money that you don't have. But I'm talking about the point of obedience. When God says to do something, you don't look at God and say, well, God, there's not enough money to do this. You step out in faith and you do what he tells you to do. And you expect that if he tells you to do something, he will provide the resources to do that. When the situation, when what you're asked to do, when the need is beyond your reach, beyond your reason, beyond your resources, Jesus will demonstrate his ability to provide. I can tell you, when I came to this church in, in what was it, 1991, they, there was there a was $1,000 in the checking account. And you said, wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, right. And there were, the, I mean, I remember, you know, when a $200 on a, on a Sunday, Sunday was, that was like a good offer. And so I didn't, for several years, there was no salary in this, and it was like, very, the resources were very slim. But we came, and we just started to do church, and to, to preach the gospel, and to love people, and to reach out to folks, and to be here, and to occupy this space, and to, and to stand boldly, and, and to move forward in ministry. And you know what? God began to supply the needs, and we have grown through those years, and we went through to, to where we hit some great peaks. And even after the Great Recession, we took a little dive. We lost some people at one point because you know, attrition back in the early 2000s took a little dive. But, you know, as we, when you were at our, if you were at our business meeting, some of you are probably pretty shocked that, as, as to, to, to the degree to which God provides for this ministry through your giving. But it's it, it, you know what if I had waited well Lord I'm gonna before I would go take that church I'm gonna need to have fifty committed tithers and then I can go forth Then I would probably be sitting somewhere still waiting. Right. If I had said Lord I, we 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 can do ministry but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get money and we're gonna have to completely refurbish the place because was there was a lot there was a lot of things that were needed. Now the chairs that you were sitting in they were here when I got here thank God for that. But man, we have done a ton of stuff. And what if I had waited? And said, "Well, Lord, you know, we're going to go forth. We'll, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll serve in that church. We'll move. We'll, we'll, we'll do it when we, when you, when we can raise a hundred thousand dollars to refurbish place, to modernize stuff. Man, what we did, we stepped out in faith and we just started doing stuff and started obeying Jesus and started loving people. And then resources started coming, little by little. We did this and did that. And through the years, God has been good. And yeah, we are a small church, but we're a, 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 a healthy and, and wonderful, loving body of people. And we're here as a witness in this community. And God does a amazing things in the lives of people, and God provides for our needs, and there's no limit to what he can do when you step out in faith and do what he calls you to do, and not first stop and try to calculate and say, well, you know, Lord, I would go, but uh, that, that, there ain't no money in the, in the, in the kitty or in, 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 in the treasury. You know what I'm saying? Jesus will demonstrate his, see, the Phillips the Philips around us, because, you know, there, there are those. They will, always, they will always say, oh, we ain't got enough to do that. And again, I'm not talking about presumptuously doing, spending beyond your means. I'm talking about that thing of stepping on faith and doing before you have all the things you think you need with the belief that God and the understanding that God will provide. The Phillips say we don't have enough, but faith says this. God says go and we go and he'll provide as we step out of faith. And step by step, God will provide what we need. Jesus taught his followers to pray this. Lord, give us right now a year ahead what we need so we can be hooked up and have it all in the budget. No, he says, give us today our daily bread. This day you'll give us what we need. This week you'll supply what we need. This project you'll fund. This, 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 this effort, this step, as we step out in faith, God will meet the needs. God will supply. So Philip gets an F because he fails at faith test because he's thinking solely in terms of money. Solely in terms of money. So he failed the test because he's only thinking about money and, he's, and, and this situation is beyond his, 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 his ability. But let's turn to the other guy, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. Because, he, you know, he, he, he pipes up and this, you know, his, his faith is there's a test for him and how he responds. He doesn't do much better, does he? But what he does is he identifies this little boy. He says... Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Five barley loaves. Bar- barley loaves. Barley bread was considered the food. Of the, it was poor po folks' food. It was. It was what. It was barley loaves. Barley bread was used to. to, to, to reinforced the fodder for animals and poor folks ate it when nothing else was available. It was, it was when, when, when wheat bread wasn't available. Barley loaves. So we see we're talking about somebody at the low end of the, of, of the socioeconomic ladder here. Five barley loaves and they're probably like little cakes. Food for the poor. And he says two fish. Now when I say two fish, some of you who are fishermen are thinking about the, the one that got away. <laughs> or the one that you told your friends got away or the one that you told your friends you got. But these ain't that, you're thinking about the, the, the red snapper around over at the fish market here. These ain't that kind of fish, excuse, my, excuse the poor the grammar. You're thinking about that big, that big catfish you saw in, 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 the, in the butcher counter at the store, that's not that kind of fish. Thinking about that big, some big salmon you saw, It's was not that kind of fish. Thinking about anything at the fish market that you go to that's not that kind of fish. Talking about these were pickled fish. This was popular in the region. This is a way. This is how you. This is how you grab your food and go with it. You 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 know you, you pickle it. We can pickle that. You put, put in. We pickle it and uh, and and uh, and and you know you, so, you know can you imagine? And that way you could, you know it, it kept when you didn't wasn't in refrigeration because there, there was one little, little little problem. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have ice. And so you you, you pickle fish and they were basically the size of some pretty large sardines. You get the picture, and they basically were used to kind of help the barley bread go down because it, you know the barley bread was so dry and coarse and gross. And so you get a couple of pickle fish. So this young man had this was his lunch. He was hooked up. He was good for the day. He had five barley loaves and he had had these two fish, little fish, pickle fish, easy to transport, kind of like sardines, with the heads and everything. Hello, somebody turn to your name and say yum. Now, Andrew demonstrates not a lot of faith, but just a little. But look at what he says. He says, but, so here's a kid, he's got some food. Can you imagine? You got, you got 20,000 people and say, we found some food. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, your, you know, when you got your little box from Popeyes with your little you know, chicken tenders and your biscuit and your little, yeah. and, and somebody's hungry and looking at you. <laughs> you say, you better step off. This is my chicken. You know what I'm talking about? You know, my, and you going to Popeye's today? See, I, I like it when my daughter goes to Popeye's at the church because I can, I can get up next to her. Hey, baby, how you doing? <laughs> 20,000, 10,000, 15,000. He, he got the, you got a box lunch. And so Andrew's comment, his response is rational and reasonable, but it lacks faith. And notice he says, hey, we got a boy, He's got some food. But, man, but, I mean, we have this, but. That little three-letter conjunction robs us of so much of God's blessing. That little three-letter conjunction is a barrier between us and sometimes the greater things that God wants to do in our lives and in the world around us. We find dysfunction in that conjunction, that that three-letter word, but, but. Because what Andrew misses is the fact that, who are you dealing with? You're talking to Jesus. This is the man who turned the water into wine. This is the man who healed the official son. This is the man that the people are following him because they have seen his miracles. You're talking to Jesus and you say, Jesus, we got this. But, because what happens in this moment, this is the question. What do you already have? That's what God asked. God asked Moses this question with regard to his staff and his ability to lead the children of Israel. He says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses had that staff. And God asked that of us. It's like, what do you have? This little boy didn't have a lot, did he? Five barley loaves and two pickled fish. But what little he had and what little he was able to bring to the table. Notice what happens in the text. It made all the difference in the world. Because what little he had became a catalyst for a miracle that would feed the multitude. Did you hear what I said? The the five barley loaves and the two fish became the catalyst for a miracle that would feed the multitude. Because here's the thing. If we offer nothing to God, then God can do nothing with it. But God can take what little we have and turn it into something great if we will just offer it to him. God can take what little we have and turn it into something great if we will just offer it to him. Because here's the deal. Listen to me. Listen to me. At any given point in time... All God wants is what we have right now, not what we're going to have, not what we're going to make, not what we're going to become, but what we have right now in this moment. And so here this little boy's lunch is blessed by Jesus to accomplish one of the most spectacular miracles in the Gospels, the one deemed so important that it's in all four Gospels. And you notice this, that age is no barrier. He didn't, we need a grown folk, some grown people up in here to bring some food. We don't, sorry, son, this ain't for children. We, we trying to find the grown folks, somebody that might have, God said, no, he got the lunch, bring on. Age is no barrier. You, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Age is no barrier. You're never too uh, young, never too old for God to use what it is you bring to him. And it got me to thinking because we need to, uh, and, uh, and I have to, I have to uh, it made me check myself and my, my, some of my, my con- conception of leadership because we have to put this, the, the concept of excellence into its proper context, its proper place because we want to do our best and, 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 and pursue excellence organizationally and, 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 and procedurally. You know, we, we, we don't want to just show up to church and say, well, you know, it's just, it's just church. I have a joke sometimes with bands working uh, with you know say so, okay it's good enough for gospel, and there is and, and it's a joke because there's no such thing. It's like we give whatever. First of all, whatever you do in life, you, you you lose something and sacrifice something. If you don't bring your A game to whatever, it's not worth doing if you can't if you can if you can't, can't try to do it right. But there's another side to this because you know life is sometimes c- comprised of these paradoxes and, and, and these these conundrums and, and, and so while we want to pursue excellence. Jesus doesn't say to us, you know, just bring me excellence. And there's, there's a part of that. You know, I know, you know, you talk about cain and abel and bringing this sacrifice and that sacrifice but what jesus really wants and what is demonstrated here is that he wants us to give him whatever we have and allow him to bless it and multiply it because some of you aren't excellent at a given point but god is saying don't wait until you see don't wait until you get excellent to give whatever it is to god and to allow him to work in it god let god bring the multiplication you see what i'm saying an author named Carl Vaters writes this. He says, it's a, he says it's a given that excellence is a moral imperative. But listen to what he says. He says, but where exactly does the Bible say that? It's possible that we've elevated a biblically and morally neutral trait of excellence over a biblically essential trait of obedience. I don't agree with the idea that God only wants our best just because a lot of people say something doesn't make it true. When people say God deserves only the best, are they paying attention to the list of disciples Jesus picked? Hello. Remember where Paul says, think of... Of you when you were think of how you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by the human standards. Not many of you at all. This you know. Think about where you started. In other words, God didn't say bring me your best. Bring the best, the best people to our church. And you know and that's because that's messed up. And we're saying, Lord, just send us people of excellence. No, Lord, send us people of, of, of send us people of need. Send us people that are raggedy and towed out and broke down and and have that have glaring deficiencies in their lives, send them here so that they may offer what they have to you and you may turn their lives around and make something greater and better of them. See what I'm saying? He says, instead of a demand for excellence, I read the Bible that God want, wants our all, best, worst, and everything in between. Do you get that? I'm not impugning. You know, you know if you know me, you know I like excellence certain things in my life that I, I have tried to do to, 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 to a, a, a definitive standard, I try to live that way. You know that about me, you know that about. But when it comes to us coming to God and our approaching God, here's the deal. God doesn't say just only bring because otherwise we create an elitist, an elitist environment where, where, where everyone is waiting, well, uh, and no one will ever be good enough. No one will ever be good enough. Let me tell you where you are right now. you're good enough to start to serve Jesus in some capacity. You're good enough to, you're good enough. You you may not have that the vast command of scripture, but you're good enough to share a word of exhortation with somebody. You may not have all the vocabulary and know all the cliches and all the the things, but you're good enough to pray for somebody in need. You may not be be all slick and smooth and all that stuff, but you're good enough to reach out and love somebody in Jesus' name and, and share the love of God with people. You're good enough to serve God, and you come as you are, and you bring him what you are, and you give him your all, and he will bring the best out of you. Now look, look in verse 11. This is, look at what Jesus did. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now notice, first of all, this. He gave to them, not, you know, because it is us. And, you know, we're we going to feed y'all. We got one soda cracker and a sardine, because we got to make this last. <laughs> now, I know, practically speaking, when you're trying to do something, you only use, realistically, sometimes we have a finite, resu- uh, finite, finite uh, pool of resources. But, but notice what he says here. Jesus, when he feeds you, Jesus, when he breaks you off, yes. Jesus, when he supplies you, he fed them so that he gave to everyone as much as they... Yeah, you can imagine in any crowd... You know, they've got the people that say, oh, th- thank you, Jesus. I'll just have a little. Oh, that's good. Thank you. I'm fine. I don't eat much. <laughs> but you know, there was some brothers in there that, that know how to eat, right? <laughs> Jesus, can I get another one of them? <laughs> can I get a little more of that fish? That's a fish that's good, huh? That's good, huh? <laughs> Where'd you get that? From the fish market around the corner? Jesus, said, there's no fish market around the corner, son. <laughs> as much as they... It reminds us of this, and you put this in in the context with all the other things we know about God in Scripture, but God is a God of abundance. He really is. And I know that this. Is, I'm not talking about the fact that all of us are supposed to be running around driving Bentleys and rich and and with rolls of hundred dollar bills in our pockets and wearing Armani suits and stuff. If you even wear suits, I, but but God is a God of abundance and God is able to to to, to abundantly supply and abundantly sup- provide for the needs of His people. And God is not just trying to break you off a little, you know. Again, take me back to the '70s T90 bit, a little, <laughs> a little tiny something. You know, it was, oh Lord, if I could just, you know, I remember this, that Him even me, Lord, let some drops. Now, follow me. God says, I, you want the drops, you can have the drops, but I got a bucket. Amen. And I'll baptize you. I'll, 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 you know, because the psalmist didn't say, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Uh, you 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 put a couple drops of oil on my head and you give me a little bit in the cup. He says, you anoint my head with oil. They pour that oil on your head. And my cup overflows. My cup overflows. And so he... he, he God is a God of abundance. But notice what he did. Stay with me. Now. There's more. But wait, there's more. You can have two for 19, One for nineteen ninety-eight, two for nineteen ninety-nine. you wonder about that stuff on TV, it's like, how if is it so good? How is it so cheap? How are you just throwing them in like that? Anyway, I digress. But he, he, he took the loaves. Uh, you see it's a familiar pattern: taken, blessed, broken, and given. Right? He took the loaves. And having, having given thanks, he distributed it. He did the same with the fish. And so he takes it into his hands. He says, Father, he says, thank you for this. These five barley loaves and these two fish. Thank you because what you are doing right now with this. I thank you because of all these hungry souls out here, these hungry bodies, first of all, these hungry stomachs that are going to be filled so that maybe on the part of some of them, their hungry souls can be filled. Because a little while later, Jesus will get later in the chapter into the discourse of himself as the bread of life because it it really points to the greater truth. He says, Lord, I thank you all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. I bless this bread. I bless these fish. And then he just starts to distribute, to distribute, to distribute. Let me ask you this. If I ask you, where did the miracle take place? Where did the miracle take place? You say, well, it took place up by the Sea of Galilee. It took place in the countryside. Where did the miracle take place? Talk to me. No, close, but eh. where did the miracle take place? The miracle took place in Jesus' hands. Do you hear me? Once he took the bread and the fish, once he took it in his hands, blessed it, broke it, and began from his hands to distribute it, the miracle took place in Jesus' hands. And that's why I know it's, it's, it's cliche because, you know, when I, was a, when I was playing in churches in the 70s and 80s, there's a point where I said if I have to play ordinary people, one more time particularly for a flat singer <laughs> i'm going to choke myself so <laughs> S- ordinary people got you and that's one girl i was playing for she couldn't get she, you know where it says little becomes she said little beast comes much i said <laughs> I, I know it sounds cliche but like little is true Danny Bell Hall hit it on the head. She hit the nail on the head. That's why the song was so popular because it said something so true. Little becomes much. Not when you keep it in your hands. Little becomes much. Not when you refine it and mess with it and tinker with it to get it to where it wants to be. Little doesn't become much because you will it to be. But little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. Go on and give him praise, somebody. Because whatever you place in Jesus' hands will be... It will be taken, it will be blessed, it will be broken, and it will be given, and it will be given again and again and again and again and again. Did, oh, did I mention that God is a God of abundance <laughs> again and again and again? And so he gave to each one as much as they wanted. And then at the end, you like this part, there were some leftovers. Isn't that great? Because see, if you had done that, like, we're going to have enough for everybody, but ain't nobody taking nothing home. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things you like about going to restaurants, right, to bring your, your little container. We used to call them doggy bags. In some restaurants, you to actually put little pictures of dogs on them. And the joke was, you know this wasn't going for no dog. You're going to eat that yourself. <laughs> and now the little, little, little styrofoam containers, and you bring them home, and you eat them. You eat your leftovers. Because they feed you such large portions at restaurants at some of these restaurants. Remember Claim Jumper? It's like they used to serve ungodly. It's like it's like I felt like Fred Flintstone or something. Right? It's like it's like but, but but leftovers. Because God gives in abundance. And whatever we offer to God, God will multiply it beyond our wildest imagination. And so if you take the first step in making yourself available to God, he will show you how greatly you can be used. That's you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you too. You can be used to advance his kingdom. And notice 12 baskets of leftovers. He says, of pieces, not crumbs, but pieces. Not talking about a miracle here. This is nothing but the supernatural power of God working through his son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. And, of course, 12 baskets, guess what? How many disciples are there? Each one walking off with a basket. Also reminiscent of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 baskets. Now, with regard to this miracle, it's this is, this is a beautiful miracle, isn't it? There are, are two false views. Sometimes you'll hear people from a theologically liberal bent. They will, they will, in a low view of scripture, they will reduce this. They'll say, well, this was... Well, certainly this was a miracle. It was a miracle of sharing because the people when they came together they understood their common need and so they just all shared what they had and so everybody basically uh, basically came came out okay because they all shared. But well, then what was Andrew talking about this boy with the measly lunch? What was that all about if they were just sharing? there was for some reason in this crowd there was no food. Right. So we reject that. And then there was this theory of sublimation. In other words they were so enthralled by Jesus' teaching that they forgot about their hunger. You know, and I, I know sometimes you get caught up in stuff and you do forget to eat sometimes, not too often. <laughs> and I know sometimes, I've heard some good preaching in my, in my life and times. I've, heard some, I've been in some good seminars. I've had some good teachers and good classes and good, good learning sessions. I've been in some good worship services. I've been in, but you know what? There ain't too many times when, when, I, when I can sit for two, three, four hours and, and haven't eaten lunch and my stomach don't start growling. And you start to lose my attention. Te- teachers in the house, you know what I'm talking about. If these children ain't fed, you do not have their attention. Plus, and there was actually in, in, in the story is that there was a little girl who, in some setting, asked this question, and, and everybody was astonished because it was it was pretty, um, it was pretty it was pretty obvious. If nobody really cared about food, and then there was so there was no physical miracle, then what did they put in those twelve baskets? Jesus did a miracle here. It wasn't just sharing. It wasn't just they forgot about food. Jesus fed the multitude. Almost done here. C.S. Lewis says this that this was C.S. Lewis says that this was a miracle of the old creation. That as he did when he changed the water to wine, Jesus simply short-circuited something that happens regularly in nature over a long period of time, so that it takes that it happened in an instant. Wheat wheat multiplies in the fields and makes possible a continuing supply of bread as it's ground and baked. Fish multiplying the sea and that process of nature keeps a plentiful supply of fish available all the time for the fish markets of the world. Though it included human effort and human preparation, Lewis suggests that by the creative power of the Father at work in him, our Lord short-circuited the whole process and wrote in small letters instantly, which is already written in large letters across the whole panorama of nature jesus has the power the power of god to short circuit that creative process to intervene and that's why it's called supernatural because it it supersedes the laws of nature to perform this miracle and to feed these people now almost done but we we talk we talk about these signs this fourth sign it shows jesus The one who will describe in 633, uh, 25 rather, through 59, as the, you know, he will describe himself as the bread of life, but he highlights Jesus. John says this sign points to Jesus as the one who supplies people's needs. The one who supplies people's needs. As the bread of life, he not only fills empty stomachs, as in this miracle, but he fills hungry hearts as well. Now, it says to us, doesn't it, as the church, that we are to be in the in, in the business of supplying the needs of people and sometimes that will require the supernatural provision of God so that we can do that sometimes that will require the supernatural intervention of God in, in, in miraculous ways but we're called upon, upon to rec- to uh, represent Jesus in this world and to supply the needs of people and it's not of course in our case it's not always physical although we should supply people's physical needs when we can amen that we should feed the hungry we should clothe those who need clothing we should reach out to the poor and the disenfranchised we, we and we should be, have the faith to believe God for greater and greater resources to do that. We can apply ourselves to some of the social and economic and, 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 and critical concerns in our community and try in what way we can to make a difference but more than that and overall we're called upon to present and to represent and, and to, to distribute the love of Jesus that supplies every need in the lives of people from the material need the physical need but most importantly the need of the spirit and the soul. We're called upon to do that. Now, some of you got here late, since so the service is running a little long. So, see, you you, you got to pay one way or the other. See. <laughs> Plus, it's going to be a long evening. It's going to be light past when you think it is, and it's going to be weird for a couple of days, right? Yeah. Thank you. Five dollars to Darcy over there. So what's the response of the crowd? The response of these crowds in in the gospels is almost never what you would hope it would be. You would have hoped it would have been been one of of worshipful wonder and 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 submission and adoration and praise in the real sense, you know what I mean? But there's a as John relates it it's it's not quite that clean. Because what he says is, after the people, verse 14, saw that the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. What's wrong with that? He's not the prophet who is to come into the world. He's the Messiah. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's not just another prophet. He's the son of God. But see, they say, they say, they say, uh, Surely, this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And in 15, Jesus, knowing this, they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, that wasn't the right response. Jesus didn't come to be their earthly king, the king of their own making, the king of their own design, their own shaping. He didn't come for them to take him and make him king by force. People will do that in your life. Sometimes people will see some of you they, they want to try to make you what they want you to be. They want to exalt you into the place they want you to be, but it may not be the place that God wants you to be. Jesus didn't come to be king in this moment. Jesus come, came to be the suffering servant, the Messiah who comes and gives his life for the sheep. He, came to, to, he, he didn't come to be served but to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, but they wanted to make him something else because he had a good food distribution thing going <laughs> this keeps on happening we don't have to fish no more we don't have to grow Just give, take the bread to Jesus and he's just break it. so we line up every day this is the king here j ramsey michaels writes this. he says their intent was a violent one perhaps nothing short of kidnapping jesus to make him a puppet pretender to the long vacant throne of david but he knew their intent and returned alone to the hill for the time being his manifestation to the galilean crowd was at an end it was the wrong response. Jesus would not go for it. Remember earlier in John it says this, Jesus didn't commit himself to people. Why? Because he knew what was in people. So he, he knew how to keep his boundaries, keep his distance, and he knew when to step back and withdraw. Sometimes as a pastor, people come to you and say, you're the greatest thing ever. I, just, you know, I mean, I, you, know, and you should be this and you should be that. No, I should be what I'm doing I should be right here where I am and who I am because that's what God called me to be. And you should be who you are, where you are, where God has placed you. They want to make him what they want him to be. That's the wrong response. The wrong response to the power of God in your life is, is to try to, to mold Jesus into your own image, into your own specifications. The right response is what Paul cites in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, where he says, you're, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, so then glorify God. So now let me wrap this up. As you look at your own, apparently finite resources. How many of you can say my resources are finite? Now if you're a billionaire then you know maybe you're out of this. But you know what? If you're, I don't care if you're a billionaire. You still spiritually speaking are as, as you are as needy and dependent on God as any of us. That's the thing. God is the great equalizer. I don't care what socioeconomic la- level you occupy. You know, here's the deal. As we look at our finite resources, and for many of us this is just where we live. We've, we may feel inadequate, Right? We say, Lord, I know you called me. I know you love me. You want me to, to serve, but I just don't think what I have to offer is, 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 is enough. It's not good enough. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't speak so well. You remember that was Moses' concern. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't talk too good. You know, it's like various people in the Bible. It's funny because there's almost nobody in the Bible that's perfect. Almost everybody has some kind of glaring deficiency. He says you may feel you know you may feel inadequate but the Lord wants whatever it is you have hear me hear me hear me this morning God wants Jesus wants whatever it is you have there's no limit what God can do in you and through you and with you if you will give what you have to him not waiting to perfect it not allow not being a slouch either just throwing anything at God but giving him your all honestly and sincerely as you are where he has found you knowing that he can take that and make something great of it and multiply it to the blessing of people we may feel we have little to bring that we're, but we're called to bring what it is that we have because again at the risk of sounding cliche and tilting my head back in 1978 or somewhere and s- singing the song little becomes much little becomes much You place it in the master's hands. It's true. It's real. The greatest things that any of us may do in life for the kingdom of God will undoubtedly be not within our power, but beyond your reach, beyond your reason, and beyond your resources. The greatest things you will do will be the things that you thought you couldn't do. The greatest things that you will do for the kingdom of God will be the things that people told you 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 wouldn't be able to do. The greatest things you can do for the kingdom of God may come out of the areas of weakness in your life that that, that you didn't expect because you gave it to Jesus. Bruce Milne writes this. He says, The key beyond our believing in God's ability and will to use us lies in the wholeheartedness of our surrender to him. William Booth's secret, now you know who William Booth was? the Founder of the Salvation Army. Now, if, if you know anything about the Salvation Army, it's not just the place, the box where you put clothes, but it, it was a worldwide Christian movement of, of social, of, of evangelistic outreach and social remedy. A Fabulous combination of, of the two sides. William Booth was the one who started that. He says, again, the key beyond our believing in God's ability and will to use us lies in the wholeheartedness of our surrender to him. William Booth's secret, he says, it's an open one. Asked to explain the phenomenal impact of his life, he replied, listen to this, for the last 80 years, God has had all that there is of William Booth. Through him, speaking of himself, Christ fed a multitude. Now, Christ wants to feed the the hungry multitudes through you and through me. He asks for no less than all that you have. Christ wants to feed the souls of hungry men and women through churches like ours. Never devalue and and never demean and never impugn the the integrity of, of our church because we're small. God will use and does use us to feed the souls of hungry people all around us in the world. We are here for a purpose. God doesn't ask you simply to give him your best, but he asks for your all. And so as I conclude this message this morning, here's the question. Are you willing to place your life in the master's hands? Unreservedly and without reservation, are you willing to give Jesus your all and to allow him to perform in and through your life? The same kind of miracle of multiplication, because if you're willing and if you'll give yourself to him, he will do it. He's done it in my life, and I know there's a, there's a bunch of you in this room can testify today. I gave what I had to Jesus, and he took it and made something wonderful and something great. out of it. He multiplied what I brought to him over and over. God is not a God of addition. God is a God of multiplication. So this morning, what do you have to give? As you stand to your feet, what do you have to give? What are you able to bring to the table? I want to ask you that today. I want to have you been holding back? Have you been have you been have you been keeping to yourself because you felt like what I have might not be good enough or nobody needs me or or you know God God can't use me. I want to encourage you this morning. Bring what it is you have. Every single one of you in this room today, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you bring him what you have, not waiting to perfect it, not waiting to get it to a certain place, but, bring it, but bringing what you have and offering yourself to him as a living sacrifice, the Bible says, holy and acceptable unto God, God will use your life. He will multiply your life to the feeding of the hungry multitudes all around you. And you know that people need, people need to be fed, right? How many of you say, Pastor, I'm going, I want to give everything and all that i have not just my best but everything and all that i have to god for use in his service amen Amen. father in the name of jesus we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for the grace of god we thank you lord that by your grace you have saved us we thank you lord that by your grace you have lifted us out of sin you've liberated us from its power and this morning we thank you lord that we have the joyous privilege of being that bread in your hands that you use to feed the world the hungry multitudes, the broken and the dying and the lost people Father this morning we bring ourselves to you, we give ourselves to you without reservation holding nothing back we're not second guessing you but we come as we are and say Lord take me and use me in your service, use me to your honor and glory I give myself to you Lord through my life, Lord, may others be touched and fed and blessed and healed and led to a, a saving knowledge of, of, of Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Lift your hands with me and go on and give the Lord a praise. Amen. Go on and let's offer ourselves to the Lord in worship and praise. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. Bless. Come on. Come on. Lift him up. Lift him up.